definitely lots of different aspects. Everything from, you know, how long are patients waiting? What's taking up most of the wait time? Are there ways we can alleviate that? Are there things they could be doing during the wait period that can make their stay more pleasant with us? What about staff? Are they working efficiently? Is there any wasted motion in clinic? Are they doing repetitive tasks? And then other things, when we send off faxes, when we do pathology reports as well, are there places where those reports aren't going through or faxes are being missed or biopsies aren't being signed off? So are we enough staffed in terms of the amount of bodies and people we have, or do we not have enough people in certain roles? So looking at how all that sort of affects not only efficiency, but just anything from profitability to patient care as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Perry Graywell, and you're listening to the Skin and Joints Podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Skin and Joints Podcast. This episode is going to be a little bit of a different take from our typical conversations. I have with me Anastasia. Anastasia, good to see you. Good to see you too. How's the weather in Toronto these days? It's beautiful. Nice, warm summer days. It was raining and cloudy and depressing weather last week we had in Vancouver. So today, I think the conversation we'll be having is around identifying efficiencies in the workplace. And so I'm curious, before we hear from our expert today, uh, for you, Aaron, in the pharmacy world, do you find that there is kind of inefficiencies that you pick up on a daily basis? Are there strategies that you've tried to improve those or cut down the time? What's your experience with identifying these? Well, that's a great question, Anastasia. And I'm assuming you've been to a community pharmacy before, but I think there's not a better space or place when we talk about the importance of creating efficiencies in workflow. And especially in pharmacy, where a lot of the tasks are having to do with product preparation and dispensing. And uh, there's a lot of non-cognitive, I'd call tasks, it, you know, intake, insurance. There's a lot of wasted, I think, duplication, very frankly, in a pharmacy environment. We're seeing automation, we're seeing, you know, tools creep in, but literally the role of pharmacist shouldn't be in any of these aspects. And so a really good example that you've highlighted when it comes to our conversation that we're having now. And I want to flip that back to you and tell me about like a medical practice. Tell me about clinics that <clears throat> maybe you've been on rotation at. Do you think this is something that would benefit them, like a, an assessment or an audit of their practice? I think that uh, there's always room to kind of evaluate what's the process that we're following. Is there any way that we can streamline this both so we can improve patient care, allow them to have a shorter visit to the hospital, allow more patients to be seen in clinic because, of course, we have really long waiting lists. So I think there's always room to kind of look at that and reflect on it. I think for me, like an example that I can think of is, for example, when I'm seeing a patient on the consult service in the hospital on a different inpatient ward and trying to do a biopsy, it takes a while to gather all the instruments that I need to figure out where everything is, how to print the labels and all of that, as opposed to in clinic, on the other hand, where we have all of this in every single patient room, everything's available and set up right away. The time for treating the patient gets cut down significantly. You know, feel free to disagree with me, but some people argue that we don't have a healthcare system, that it's not a true system. It's so fragmented and broken at a larger scale and a macro scale, and we need to really look at these things in that lens. So I think today's conversation is going to be really an eye-opener for those who haven't heard about Lean Sigma 6. You may have heard it in other industries. 
And as you can see from our conversation, it's not just unique to one site or type of practice. It can go beyond that, right? And that's the the cool thing. So we're gonna we're gonna deep dive into a very unique process that's been used in the automotive industry, believe it or not. And we're gonna apply it to healthcare. We're gonna have some fun today looking at Lean Sigma Six and applying it to dermatologist practice. What is Lean Sigma Six? Can you use it in your respective practices? Anastasia, have you heard of Lean Sigma Six before? I haven't. No. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Sounds like a plan. There's also a wager on the line. You'll hear more in our episode, but that's an Easter egg for you guys listening in. So let's get started with our esteemed guest, Dr. Perry Gurwell, who's an associate clinical professor within the Faculty of Medicine Division of Dermatology at the University of Alberta. He's also medical director and dermatology and clinical research trials at Rejuvenation Derm and Aesthetics in downtown Edmonton. He's participated in over 80 clinical trials and published in many journal articles and book chapters in dermatology. Here's our conversation with Dr. Perry Grewal. So this first question is something we like starting off every podcast. And tell us something about yourself that our viewers may not know about you. Do you have a secret talent, a hobby? Are you a swimmer and tennis all-star? Do you have a secret sticker collection? I guess for myself, what everybody might not know is I really do like to exercise quite a bit. So um, I think especially over the pandemic, I just started to run a lot. So then I was able to do my first marathon uh, back about a year ago. And now, yeah, I'm training for another one here coming up pretty soon in Edmonton. Running is my thing. And I think really over COVID, like everyone was so shut in doors, there wasn't really much to do. So I really needed like an outlet. So I'm glad I kind of took it up because it's good. It's motivating, gives you a goal, and uh, basically keeps you healthy at the end of the day. Wow, wow. that's amazing. That is is quite amazing. Marathon, what's the running component? How many kilometers is it? Yeah, a like, like a full marathon's 42 kilometers or 26.1 miles. So it's uh, definitely a long distance. But I did my first and I finished it. So that was great. So now I'm hoping uh, as time passes, as I get more fit, that's always the goal, uh, trying to beat my time. Amazing. Are you planning any international marathons? No, I, like I don't have enough time. Like I found with marathon running, you need a lot of time. And so I get up pretty early and then I try to get it in my long runs. But between like work, family, kids, busy practice and travel, like it's a bit difficult. So I think going to stick locally for now. But I think if the opportunity presents itself, I, yeah, I think I'd love to go running in like different cities and different marathons for sure. Monaco yeah. uh, Marathon. That sounds like a good spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check the Grand Prix, do the Monaco Marathon. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a winning combination. So considering we're in the, I guess, the height of summer, one of the big topics, the buzz topics, seems like everywhere and everyone you talk to, whether it be online on Instagram or on on social, um, this new Barbie movie. And, you know, it's personally gotten me very curious about, like, it's brilliant marketing. It's an interesting concept. I'm surprised that it's getting people driving into the theaters and actually seeing movies in person. But this is a very important question for this podcast and not the most important, but very, very high up there is, have you seen the Barbie movie yet? So, uh, yeah, so I haven't seen it yet, um, but there is a plan in place with my wife and several of her cousins and my kids. So on this Friday, we are going and I might or might not have promised to wear uh, my pinkest outfit for the movie. So yes, I will be going this Friday. I knew it. Well, I, there's, there's a big wager <laughs> and, and that, that wasn't the answer I was looking for, <laughs> but, but we I have looking for. I, Anastasia just won a jackpot. Yeah. So, but, but that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, 
totally misread that. That's awesome. This is the pinkest sort of t-shirt I have, I think. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. I've got a pretty uh, pink um, kind of pool outfit, I guess, yeah, with the shirt and the shorts. You, you got to wear so, pink. Yeah. Be, yeah, I've heard be, when you go there. Yeah, I'll be rocking that at the theater. Okay, I'm okay with the answer. <laughs> Tell us about your childhood experiences that you think led you to the pathway of becoming a dermatologist. Yeah, so I think for me, the most important was just like my personal family physician or GP when I was growing up was super nice, super friendly, kind of took care of our whole family. But then it was also event like our soccer coach for multiple seasons as well. So I think he was the one that basically motivated me to go into medicine because he was always kind, respectful, treated us so well, took care of all our health problems. But then I could see like the impact he had in the community. I would vividly remember because I grew up in a pretty small town, Fort McMurray, and there were a lot of physicians or emerge staff or whatever back in the day. So you'd always have to leave practice early and field some kind of on-call thing. And so it was just seeing him and his dedication in that field that just kind of made me gravitate towards wanting to become a physician, essentially. This is a question I think that we love asking all our guests just because it's super cool to see what maybe motivated them or an event that sort of changed the course or direction of why. And so that's super cool. I didn't realize you, you grew up in Fort McMurray. That uh, is very small. It used to be very small, but now bigger now. Definitely, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So with that, yeah, I always wanted to be in, in medicine. And then I guess dermatology specifically, like, again, when you're in university, mostly you go back to Fort McMurray because you can get a job there at site and get paid pretty well. But uh, my wife, who I was dating at the time, I didn't want to leave Edmonton. So I needed an excuse to stay in Edmonton and not go back to Fort McMurray. So I actually got a research job in one of the dermatology labs. So I met the dermatology people through there, like when I was an undergrad. So that's, again, what kind of prompted me to kind of get into the field. Like I enjoyed the research, but really it was an excuse to stay in Edmonton and to see her more than anything else. It, it worked out uh, in, in many different ways, right? Yeah, worked out okay. Worked out okay. So moving on to the crux of today's conversation and this really unique project. And, uh, you know, I think for our podcast this is something we haven't really addressed ever. And so that's where we're super excited is looking at assessing a practice and a workflow, a dermatologist's practice. I'm looking at sort of, we hear feedback from many colleagues about the number of patients a derm sees per day, the amount of paperwork, staff shortages, all that kind of stuff. But this project is very unique in that it looked at analyzing the workflow and really looking at deficiencies, if I could say, and efficiencies in, in the practice. But overall, could you tell us a little bit about what your motivation was for embarking on this project and, and a key objective or problem that you were trying to solve? Yeah. So for myself, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like there's a lot of medical information we get and we reflect on our practices in terms of our patients and how we're managing them as well. But I think we do enough reflection around our actual practice. You know, um, I think the reality in medicine is there's the medicine part but for a lot of us who are community dermatologists or community practitioners. There's a whole business aspect to it, too. And there's a whole management side where basically you have to do everything from being an accountant to a bookkeeper, to the HR person, to the marketing person. So I guess the motivation for me was to say, how is that side of the practice integrated into my medical side? And I guess the way to look at it is a few years ago, I joined Rejuvenation Dermatology and prior to joining them, I was unaware of different inefficiencies and issues and sort of ways that could be solved. And then after I joined them, my practice became more efficient and I was able to see more patients and do more things. 
So then the goal here was to say, you know, can I push that boundary even further? Are there other things where I'm falling short or other things that can be optimized so I can sort of provide the best patient care in kind of the most efficient manner possible? And just following up on that, essentially, was it looking at improving the staff efficiency, reducing wait times for patients or incomplete tasks? Were there any specifics that you were looking at or is it multiple aspects when it comes to efficiency? Well, yeah, no, I think you said it correctly, like definitely lots of different aspects, everything from, you know, how long are patients waiting? What's taking up most of the wait time? Are there ways we can alleviate that? Are there things they could be doing during the wait period that can make their stay more pleasant with us? What about staff? Are they working efficiently? Is there any wasted motion in clinic? Are they doing repetitive tasks? And then other things when we send off faxes, when we do pathology reports as well, are there places where those reports aren't going through or faxes are being missed or biopsies aren't being signed also? And are we enough staffed in terms of the amount of bodies and people we have, or do we not have enough people in certain roles? So looking at how all that sort of affects not only efficiency, but just anything from profitability to patient care as well. So prior to this podcast, I haven't heard about the Lean Six Sigma, and I'm not sure if our listeners are aware. So in maybe in less than 60 seconds, could you summarize for our audience what exactly is Lean Six Sigma? Yes, I'll try my best because exactly like you said, I had no idea what Lean Six Sigma was. And so when I was approached to discuss this initially and what the process was, I do have that question, like, what is this and why do I want to use this system? In a nutshell, it's kind of a systematic approach to optimizing processes. And it was pioneered in the auto industry, because as you can imagine, with all those people and moving parts, there can be a lot of places where there's, you know, waste, a lot of places where there's errors and a lot of places where things can be improved efficiently. So this whole concept is basically about process improvement that uses a bit of a team effort or team approach to improve performance by systematically removing operational waste and reducing process variations. So essentially trying to eliminate things that sort of don't need to be there and trying to make things more reproducible so that it kind of cuts down the amount of errors and issues that you might face. And correct me if I'm wrong, is this Toyota that initially applied this? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's Toyota that kind of pioneered this. And now, again, it's not just uh, auto industries, but they're taking this concept and moving it into a lot of different realms, everything from medical fields, as we're talking about today, to other areas where there's processes and manufacturing that happens. That's super cool. Shows that sort of cross-pollination of processes or ideas from other industries and importing them into healthcare, because I think that's where kind of that true innovation occurs at the fringes. But looking specifically at applying this Lean Sigma 6 model to your dermatology workflow, so what sort of key parameters or metrics did you look at? You guys forgot to mention, just like every other episode, a reminder, we kind of have to say this, the opinions expressed on the Skin and Joints podcast are for licensed healthcare providers and educational purposes only, and do not constitute nor replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with your healthcare provider if you have any concerns or questions about your health. Thank you to Novartis for supporting today's episode. Part 2 drops next week. I can confirm that it was a friendly wager and the stakes were very low. Congrats, Anastasia. And sorry, Aaron, you lose this round. Let's chat soon.